Well, it's very good to be here today. And uh, we thank you for your warm welcome. It was about three years ago in 2019 that we were here last as we were just about to embark on our adventure. And um, as always, you're a very welcoming church. Lovely lady sitting behind Kathy uh, saw me scratching around trying to find a tissue just before and she kindly leant forward and said, would you like a clean tissue? So I took that. I would have taken a dirty one, but um, I appreciate that you went to that extra little bit of effort. So we are the Staunton family and you saw some pictures up there of what our life looks like in Cambodia and I have to say that it's a, it's a wonderful place. We were just overwhelmed by the warmth of the people and the warmth of the air to be honest and to be coming back here into frigid conditions it's taken a little bit of adjustment for us so we're quite used to having overnight temperatures of around about 24 to 26 degrees every single night and having the fan on and, and barely having a sheet on our bed so we've been back in the country for about three months now and we still haven't got used to it again but that's all right that's all good but yeah, Cambodia is just a, a wonderfully diverse place and you saw some images of what our life really does look like on the ground. Uh, I think it could actually be a, a great advertisement for the Cambodian tourism industry as to what the place is like and where you saw us riding uh, our bikes in those hideous shirts. Uh, you see them everywhere and Kathy bought them for us for um, Father's Day, I think it was this year. Just gone. Uh, that, that's the street that we live in. So, yeah, we, we love the place. We arrived in Cambodia on the 16th of January in 2020, and I remember that date because it's the date before our wedding anniversary. And about a week later, COVID hit. So I'm not really quite sure what we expected of our adventures in Cambodia, but it certainly wasn't what we, we had. And I think that that's the wonderful thing about God, that God has a plan and a path for us and he knew exactly what was coming. So yeah, we, 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 I remember we were sitting in a cafe in the first week that we were in Cambodia and Kathy was reading about this thing called COVID and she's going, oh, what is it? Not really quite sure, have you heard about it, Annie? I'm going, I don't know, sounds like the, the bird flu or the swine flu or something and I'm sure it'll just pass. But within about six weeks, Things had changed dramatically. Our kids had been put into a local international school and we were advised on, I think it was the 9th of March, that everything would be going online and for the next eight months they didn't get to go back to school, which was quite disruptive for them because as you can imagine, it would have been very, very hard for them to form friendships. Hugo formed a friendship with a, a cat that had been delivered to our house as a bit of a gift and in funny ways it was a little bit of a lifesaver for him uh, but the kids did incredibly well. They went back into school for about oh, I think about three or four weeks and then the government shut all the schools again just before Christmas and they didn't actually make it back into school until I think it was about May the following year or something so we worked out that in the first 18 months that the kids were in country that they'd been in school for a total of nine weeks face to face but despite that God looked after us and brought many friends into our life and whilst it's not like Australia for the kids where you have multitudes of friends and sporting activities they were all able to really form great friendships with a, a select few and we're so thankful for that and Kathy and I were able to form great friendships with uh, local Khmer people and Liak was one of those per people who we'll talk a little bit more about later on and um, yeah and, and obviously with our team and everything 
But the main thing that kept us going through that time was genuinely the prayers and the emails and the little connecting moments between us and people back in Australia. And Wodonga genuinely was a really, really big part of that. We had many, many people just contacting us and one of the great little things about it was that uh, they would just tell us about their daily lives. You know, I'm doing this and this and I went to the shops today and I saw this person. And then invariably at the end, we would get this little bit, oh, I'm sorry to bore you about, you know, our life. It's not really that exciting. But it was actually really, really nice. So we thank you uh, to those people who, who took the time to do that and um, kept in touch with us and read our newsletters, which Kathy faithfully produced every month. And we hope that during that time you got a little bit of a sense of what was going on for us. We... Uh, even though the schools were closed, we didn't actually really experience COVID at all in the first year that we were there in 2020. Um, we had freedom of movement within the country and the only thing that we couldn't do was, was leave the country, which presented a few little challenges. Normally what cross-cultural workers do is that they just jump over the border into Vietnam or Laos or Thailand just to get out of our context a little bit, um, to have a little bit of a break, but we weren't able to do that. But that afforded us the opportunity to pretty much explore the whole of Cambodia, which in reality we probably wouldn't have done because we would have been just jumping over the border. And uh, we got to go right up into the north, uh, near Laos and Vietnam, and then right down to the south. On one of those trips in July last year, we were down uh, on the coast. Cambodia doesn't really have a coastline, and to be honest, it's not really nice, but it stretches for about 60 kilometres in the Gulf of Thailand. But just off the coast, there's a, a bunch of little islands where a lot of expats go for a bit of a break. And to be honest, it's nothing like Queensland, but any little bit of water, you know, and something that resembles a bit of beach will do it for us. So we went down there and we'd been down on a, a little island for about three or four days and it was a nice little bay and there was a sandbank about 30 or 40, oh actually not that far, probably 20 or 30 metres out, which we used to walk out to every day and halfway through there was a little bit of a channel and you'd get up to about your waist and then you'd walk around on top of the sandbank and we did that for three or four days. The day before we were due to leave, um, I was out there with Hugo and Ruby. So Hugo is our eight year old. Ruby's now almost 12 in a couple of weeks and Charlie's 14. And I was out there with Hugo and Ruby. And the waves were getting a little bit dumpy, uh, which we were loving because we're good Aussies who love a little bit of surf. And it got to about five o'clock and it gets actually quite dark quite early in Cambodia. Year round it's about six o'clock, it's quite dark. Anyway, it got to about five o'clock. And the waves were picking up a little bit and I said to the kids, oh, it's time to come in. And we were literally about three metres into the water and I was standing in water knee deep, a little bit higher for Hugo. And Ruby says to me, oh, can we just have one more go? And I said half jokingly, but half seriously, oh, no, I think we should go in because we're getting tired and maybe, you know, if another big wave comes in, you know, you might not come back. And as soon as I said that, a massive wave came in and within about five seconds we'd been completely sucked out into the water. Ruby and Hugo thankfully stayed together. Um, we went out in a V section and I went into the opposite direction and I was about 20 metres out and they were about 20 metres from me and they were about 15 metres from the shore. And I was like oh that was a big one 
and I started to swim towards them and within about three seconds all the energy had been sucked out of me and I thought oh we're gonna have trouble getting back in here and at that point we we're still okay it was like okay we just got to think our way through this but then immediately and we found out later on that it was actually the back wind of a bit of a typhoon that had been happening up a little bit further north these massive sets of waves came in and very, very quickly it became apparent that we were in really, really big trouble. Um, so I started calling out to the kids and I was saying, you know, just keep together, don't panic. Remember what we've always taught you. If you get caught in a rip, don't fight it. Just, we'll be, we'll be delivered onto the sandbank soon. But to see your little kids' heads going under and waiting for them to come back up again and under. And at one point, um, Hugo jumped onto the back of Ruby's shoulders and I yelled out, get off your sister, and he did it straight away and he held onto her hand again. Um, and the thoughts that go through your head in that moment are horrifying to be honest. Uh, the first one was, ooh, I don't really want to die at the age of 47. And then the second thing, which is kind of ironic, is that um, uh, I'd actually given a devotion at the local school about a week beforehand um, where our kids go to the mission school and I'd been telling them about so it's predominantly to Kamai staff but also to some expat staff and I was telling them about how in Australia we have these things called riptides and what you got to do is if you ever get caught in one you don't fight it and you have to release a little bit of your energy and just trust that you're going to be dumped up on top of this sandbank. And you know, like all good pastors, there's always a biblical message in that. And it's a little bit like trusting in God, yeah, that sometimes you're getting caught in this thing and your instinct is to fight it and to rely on your own strength and do all these kind of things. But God's going to deliver you. And I thought, wow, that's kind of ironic that I'm now having to do that. Um, anyway. And the other horrifying thought in all of that was that uh, I knew there was absolutely nothing I could do for my kids. So Ruby literally saved her brother's life. Um, so after probably the longest three minutes of my life, I started to bottom out a little bit on the, on the sandbank. And I thought, okay, I think I'm gonna be right, but I knew the kids weren't quite there yet. Um, and about 30 seconds later, the same thing happened to them. We got ourselves up onto the sandbank and then we looked up and we thought, hmm, how are we going to get back in? There was no one on the beach at all. Um, but then I noticed um, that the sandbank um, kind of curled around and we we're actually able to walk off the sandbank to, to the beach and we had about half a metre and by that stage the water was really calm at that point and we walked out. Most horrifying experience of my life by a long, long way. Uh, so we get back up to Kathy, who's at the uh, at the little restaurant area, you know, having a, a five o'clock drink, and uh, maybe Kathy should explain the uh, the scenario that she saw. But we're just absolutely covered in sand and looked absolutely trashed. And I kind of handed the kids back, and then um, not because I'd swallowed any water, but I just started vomiting uncontrollably for the last for the next twenty minutes. And as my psychologist told me later on, as we we were receiving some counselling for this. Event, event um, she was saying that your body just shuts down and it focuses on you know doing what it needs to do and then when you know that you're safe it just releases so anyway in many ways going to Cambodia is a cross-cultural 
worker feels a little bit like that experience. Where you think you're under control, you think you're well prepared, you think that, you know, 20 years of minister, I've been a pastor for the last 20 years, is gonna prepare you for this thing. And then all of a sudden you realize that you actually don't know anything. There's all the things that people value in you in Australia, people don't actually value in Cambodia. Um, because in Australia, we're, we're very much focused on what's the first thing that you ask someone almost? What do you do in life? People never ask that question in Cambodia. And very, very quickly, you start to understand that everything that you felt that you had trust in within yourself and who you were as a person actually gets stripped completely away. And that is the life of a cross-cultural worker. Um, and the other thing is that very, very quickly, even though you think you trust in God, it gets taken up to a completely different level when you go into a situation like this where you really do need to trust in God or else you'll just flounder and you'll bob around in the ocean, so to speak, and not really have any idea. So I prayed when I went to Cambodia, well before this, this inc incident, that, that, that God would teach me to rely on him more. And uh, he did that in the most incredible kind of way. Um, and I'm not talking about being at the beach that day, but just those moments. And that is the life of a cross-cultural worker. Kathy uh, listens to a podcast or an author by the name of Brené Brown. Some of you may have heard of her. She's a Christian um, author. And she talks a lot about this scenario. And she refers to it as the mind in the gap. Uh, some of you may be familiar with the London Tube, the underground, where you go underground into the, the tube station and paint it. And because they're always on tight angles, when the trains come in, sometimes there's a big gap between the platform and the train. And painted on the, on the, the platform itself uh, says mind the gap. And obviously, it's just alerting people to the fact that you don't want to step off into nothing. And Brené Brown, Brown talks about this in the context of being a missionary or just a, a person of faith in everyday society. And she says that it's the space between where you are and where you want to be. Where you are and where you want to get to. It involves an embrace of your vulnerability and a cultivation of resilience. And most of all, it requires you to show up uh, in new and uncomfortable ways. So it's the space from where you want to be, uh, sorry, where you are, to where you want to be. It involves you showing up in new and uncomfortable ways. And it involves embracing your vulnerability. And that is the life of the missionary worker. Now sometimes in Cambodia we had really, really good days and I guess the temptation for me up here today is to tell you about all the good, successful stories. You know, the hundreds of people that were baptised in our first term, obviously. Uh, the way that we've just completely mastered the language. I was gonna, I was gonna say that that was actually me narrating that video clip, but then Kathy then put up that it was Leak, so I can't do that. Uh, we've got a bit of a, we've got a good working 
you know, Khmer base uh, with our language. We can go to a local market and communicate clearly. And it's been a very, very long time since I've bought something that I didn't want to buy. Uh, there, there can be, there can be something. Although at the start it was quite funny. Uh, actually, I'll tell you a little story. I'll segue for a minute. So the word for milk and cow is very, very similar. Okay. Uh, so a cow is ko, yeah, like a ko. Uh, and any kind of liquid is duck, almost like an aqueduct, yeah, water, yeah. So whether it's water or milk or juice or whatever, it's always got a duck on the front of it, the duckle. So the duckle, I could make you practice this, but we won't, is like the, the liquid from a cow, yeah. Anyway, very, very early on, I went into a Western supermarket and I went in there and I asked very, very politely if I could have some milk. And they just looked at me strangely and, okay, didn't quite get the pronunciation correct. And then I tried it again and tried it again. And then later on, I realized that I was actually going there and asking for a cow itself. <laughs> and then she just smiled at me. So she let me persist for a couple of minutes. And then she just smiled at me and in perfect English, she just said, I think you're after the milk and it's over there. Uh, I could tell you lots and lots of those stories. Uh, so our, our, our working language is good, but to be quite honest, there is no way that I could ever get up at, in something like this and just talk as freely as what I am now. But I'd like to tell you about a couple of our failures, because I think in your failures, that's where you really find God. One of the biggest regrets that I ever have, you would have seen the pictures on the screen about where we live. So we live outside of Sam Reap. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of Sam Reap. So Sam Reap is up in the northwest kind of corner of Cambodia, about six hours from Phnom Penh, which is the capital city. And we are very, very close to the Angkor Wat temples. So until COVID hit, the Angkor Wat temples were the most uh, uh, visited tourist attraction in Southeast Asia. They got something like two million visitors a year there. Uh, so that was in 2019. By 2021, they were getting about 10,000 visitors a year, if that. And that had a completely devastating impact on the economy because about 80% of the local economy revolves around tourism and tourism services. Uh, but anyway, but it's beautiful and we get the privilege of, I ride my bike through the Angkor Wat temples three times a week and I just think how lucky am I, this is like the bucket list trip for anyone and I just get to do it all the time. We deliberately chose to live outside of Siem Reap, about 15 minutes outside of Siem Reap in a local village. And we live in amongst the rice fields and it's beautiful and it's, yeah, it's just amazing. Anyway, most Khmer people live outside. They cook outside, they congregate outside, and most of them sleep outside as well. And directly across the road, just after we moved into our uh, new place, which was about three months in, there was a group of about 15 men sitting out the front. Uh, they were just drinking a little bit of beer, and they invited me over. And at this point, my Kamai was absolutely rubbish, uh, but I understood what they were doing. And I said, come over, come over, have a drink. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm a little bit tired. I, I'm not quite sure if I'm really up to trying to talk in Khmer and sitting amongst these people in a really awkward and vulnerable situation for 20 minutes or 25 minutes. And I thought to myself, oh, I'll just decline this time and then you know, next time I'll psych myself up for it and go for it. So I said, no, thanks. And you know what? 
That was two years ago, and they've never invited me back in. And a couple of occasions, I've actually tried to go over and you know, be a little bit friendly and just got nothing from them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's been a few other little instances like that where we're supposed to be these amazing cross-cultural missionary type workers who take every opportunity. But you have those little moments of vulnerability where you think, oh. Or, you know, buying milk at the supermarket, you can laugh about that. But there's also been many, many other times where, um, you know, you're just completely stuffed up what you're trying to say and people are just looking at you like you're, you know. And Kathy will also say that, uh, you know, we talk to people in Khmer and they look at you and their three words in English that they know is, oh, sorry, we don't speak English. And you go, but I'm speaking Khmer. <laughs> The space between where we actually are and where we want to be. It involves an embrace of our vulnerability and a cultivation of resilience. And most of all, it requires us to show up in new and uncomfortable ways. And that is our life in Cambodia. Now I asked David to read from Matthew chapter three today, which is the story of Jesus' baptism. And I was reading through this about three or four weeks ago. And as a pastor, obviously, I'm a keen student of the Bible. But something jumped out at me, which I'd never actually noticed before. So let's go through it. Let's recap the story. Most of us would know the story of Jesus' baptism. So John is out in the, in the desert and he's baptizing all who come to him. And he has a little bit of discourse with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then Jesus comes up to him and says, I want to be baptized also. And after a few minutes of John trying to put him off and saying, I'm not worthy, I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me, he finally consents and concedes and, and baptizes Jesus. And then the clouds open up and we're told that the Spirit of God comes down like a dove on Jesus. And he proclaims that you are my son, with you I'm well pleased, and I love you. And then what happens? That same Spirit of God drives Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he's tested and I guess he does his preparation for ministry. Have I missed anything? I don't think so. But I think I did miss something in that whole story. And it only occurred to me as I started a few weeks ago thinking about what I would share today. But you know what? Up until that point where the Spirit came down on Jesus and proclaimed, you are my son, I'm well pleased with you, and I love you. Up until that point, Jesus had done absolutely nothing. He hadn't commenced his ministry. He hadn't called his disciples. He hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't preached the Sermon on the Mount. He hadn't had robust conversations with the religious leaders of the day. He'd done absolutely nothing. And yet he was still called God's own. God was still pleased with him and he was still loved. Yeah? And for a Westerner like myself and like Kathy, to be honest, we're white 
middle class, very well educated people. I've got a degree in business and I'm a registered builder and I've got a master's in divinity. Our whole kind of existence and worth is a little bit wrapped up in what we do and who we think we are and whether we like it or not, the things that people look to us and applaud us for um, doesn't actually matter to God at all. Because before we do anything, he loves us and he calls us our own and he's actually really well pleased with us. And when you go into a place like Cambodia, where all those things are stripped away and it really does feel like you're bobbing up and down in the ocean, trying to work out whether I should be fighting this or just relaxing and letting go. Um, that is our reality. It's about embracing that vulnerability and putting ourselves in awkward situations. So as I said, we all want the good and amazing and success stories from missionaries, yeah? And over morning tea, we can share some of those. There are some really good things that have happened. But I didn't want to focus on them today. We could easily fill that space. But I think the true encounters of God come in our failed moments. Where we don't, we're, we're, we're not put in our place by God, if you know what I mean by that. Where we're not reminded that we really are nothing. But in fact, when we're reminded that we really are something in God's eyes. And it's that knowledge up here, but that knowledge within your heart that actually propels us and drives us to do what we do in Cambodia and in Wodonga and in Albury and maybe even in Tasmania. It's that knowledge within our heart that propels us to do what we do. Um, I actually tried to Google up, because you always should do a little bit of homework before you come to a church. I tried to Google a little bit of the history of Wodonga Baptist before I came, but I couldn't actually really find anything on your website. But what I do know is that this church has been here for a very long time. And what I do know is that it started off with just a small group of people who decided that they should get together. And what I do know is that God blessed that. And what I do know is that God already loved those people. He called them his own. And he was well pleased with them before anything had happened. But that knowledge within our heart that they were loved and known by God propelled them to start something very small here many, many years ago. And now today, it's clearly evident that this community here is touching the community around you. So Leak, spelled L-E-A-K, it's like a leak, um, was the guy up on the screen. And you might have seen him in one or two of Kathy's newsletters that she sends out. So what we all really want to hear once again is that Leak, you know, was this guy who'd never heard about Jesus before and now he's a faithful Christian leader within the local church. That's not the case. He ran a tiny little hung cafe, which means a little shop on the side of the road where Kathy went to one day just around the corner and she started talking to him and he can speak some English. 
and they developed a relationship over good Melbourne coffee. He'd been trained by someone from Melbourne a long time ago. And once again, Kathy wasn't trying to do anything remarkable and convert the million. She just wanted a really good coffee in the morning because she was very grumpy. <laughs> don't get a good coffee and you don't, you don't want to spend too much time with Kathy in the morning. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. Well, it's a little bit true. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I just outsource. Um, I don't drink coffee or tea or anything. Um, and yeah, I don't think I've ever made Kathy a coffee and certainly I've never made her a good one in my life. But anyway, she started up this relationship just talking to Liak and, um, you know, he's talking about his little business and by that stage COVID had really hit and his business had dried up and he's struggling to, to feed his family. So she introduced me to him and because of my business background, I'm not quite sure if we needed a a business degree to help him out, but I just started working with him, saying, okay, how much does it actually cost to make your cup of coffee? Oh, I don't know. So we added up how much the milk cost and how much the coffee cost, and if you put in an extra shot, how much that cost and the, the plastic cup and blah, 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 blah. And we, we worked out that he was making about three cents per coffee. And that when he sold a double shot for the same price, he was actually losing about 30 cents on that cup of coffee. So we just started a little bit of a relationship in a really practical kind of way, and we became good friends. And we share a meal with his family probably every second week. Uh, he's a little bit different because a lot of Khmer people won't want to come into our home and there's a few reasons for that. There's a little bit of shame because obviously we live like Westerners and the, the, the reality is that we, we have more resources than they could ever dream of. Uh, we would say that we live very humbly compared to Australian standards, but we've got running water and we've got a roof and we've got cooling and whatever else. Um, but for the Khmer, we live like kings. Um, but he's come into our house with his family many times and he's taken us out to his home village and introduced us to his family. And we're building a relationship. And we've had, in two years, maybe three conversations about Jesus. And to be honest, one of those was about the theological difference between Santa Claus and Jesus. Very confusing, because that's what they see. Um, we had a, about a year, we were just, yeah, just on a year, we had a, a Christmas party at our place where we invited 20 or 30 Khmer people and someone had found a Santa suit and they turned up in it, Khmer guy, hilarious. Um, and we had a big theological discussion that night about why Santa Claus wasn't really the savior, but <laughs> seems to be. Um, this last Christmas just gone, we, we had about 50 Khmer people in our house for a similar thing and we kept the Santa suit away this time. There's a little bit of a journey going on there. He'd never really had any contact with any Christian people before we got there. But you know what, I, I believe firmly that God had been working in his heart for years before we got there. Um, we, don't, we don't bring Jesus to these people. We hopefully just reveal Jesus to these people. Uh, Jesus is very much alive in these communities. And I think it's the same here in Wodonga. Um, one thing that I've noticed and observed coming back into Australia after two and a half years being away is that I think people are far more alive to their spirituality than they ever have been. That may necessarily not necessarily mean that they're alive to, to Jesus or recognizing faith, but they are searching about the meaning for life. And I think there are just wonderful opportunities here in Australia to really explore that with people. But what it takes is just understanding 
that as humble human beings in whatever context, that before we've done every, anything at all, that we're known by God, we're loved by God, and God is well pleased by us. And as Brene Brown would say, when we're mining that gap of just like trying to work out where we are and where we want to be, just making ourselves vulnerable and celebrating the little failures, because I think that's when God does his most amazing work. So thank you for your support for us as a family. Um, And I've mentioned it, but the emails, the prayers, and the financial support, you put food on the table, and we often tell our kids when they ask why mum's writing all these emails to people, well, they're paying for your education, and you literally did pay for my children's education. Um, And we're so thankful for that. But more than that, in the little ways, and hopefully our work will be able to continue in Cambodia for many years to come. Uh, You are opening the world of Jesus to the Khmer people. We don't bring Jesus, but we open the world of Jesus to Khmer people, and we're so thankful for that. So thank you for giving us the privilege to speak in front of you. And um, and if you'd like to come back tonight, you can hear from Kathy and, and hear about some of those things. And uh, the one thing about our missiology that we've been following for a very long time, and the beauty of it is that uh, you don't need to be in Tasmania to be a good missionary. You can be uh, a, a good person of faith here as well who shares their lives with people, and Jesus really does use that. So thank you. Amen.